I am Erica. I am Kevin. I am Giovanna. I am adventurous. I am dreamer. I am creative. I am wine. I am dance. I am entrepreneur. I am musician. I am privileged. I am activist. I I am am podcast. Learning. Growing. Inspiring. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the I Am Podcast. We are thrilled to have our guest here today, a part of the new series, I Am The Band. So let me tell you a little bit about him. As a child in Cuba, our guest began his musical odyssey playing the guitar. However, he soon switched to percussion, and that has remained his primary instrument ever since. He immigrated to Los Angeles in 1967, where he attended Los Angeles City College studying music, and by the 1970s, he quickly became a busy studio musician. He has backed artists such as James Taylor, Madonna, Eric Clapton, Carlos Santana, Phil Collins, Rod Stewart, and Shakira, just to name a few. His live performance and touring career took off when he joined Madonna's touring band in the 1980s. And to date, Conte has built an extremely successful career, including a run composing and playing in ABC TV's Dancing with the Stars band, among hundreds of other TV and film projects. Please welcome the legendary Luis Luis Conte. Conte. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 Thank you for joining us. Yes. yes, I'm so excited to have you on here because for me, you're almost like a like an uncle or a you know one of these oh, oh this, you know maestro like these people that I've looked up to all my life you know getting an early an early opportunity to meet you and work with you and hear you it's just it's blessed my life and every time I see you the smile on your face and the the love that you exude is 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 just a bright light in the room so I'm super excited oh, to have you here. <laughs> And I'm thrilled to Thank be you, here. Thank you, Giovanna. Thank you so much. Um, uh, every time I see you, it's always great to see you too. And we we've worked a lot together now in the studios, and yeah, and it's a blessing. And then I, I was just honored when you wrote that song about Mi Conguero. Oh, yeah, I just heard oh, yeah. about that. A long time ago, and you came to my studio and recorded. I mean, so we love you, man. Oh, we love man. You. Yeah, that's that's you we know. We got to get into that story. Yeah, we later. will definitely <laughs> tell that story. But before we get into that, we want to just hear a little bit about you, and we wanted for you to tell us your story. Well, I mean, like Erica said, there, you know, I uh, I was born in Cuba, from Santiago de Cuba. Not, I'm not from the capital, from the other end of the island. And for people that have never been there, Santiago is where all the revolutions happen, where all the coffee plantations where there's sugar cane and and there's a lot of black people with a lot of mm. the slave trade there's there's yeah the slave trade in cuba was was heavy as as you know as everywhere it was and and cuba had all the come away oriente all those areas have all the plantations and all that stuff so there's a lot of drumming mm. there's a lot of african you know so santiago like you can compare it to if people have been to brazil if you've been to Brazil, you've been to Rio. That's like Havana in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And Bahia, Bahia. is like Santiago oh. in Cuba. So it's, it's like very old school, you know. It's very African. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of music. So I grew up, my dad was a doctor, but he would have been a musician if he wasn't a doctor because he played percussion and he played piano and he loved music. And 
my aunts, all this is all in my father's side. My aunts played piano and guitar. They taught, they were like school teachers. And from the old days, they would teach, you know, all the subjects, including music and grammar school, you know, they were grammar school teachers back in the day. And the radio was in my house on all the time. The record player was blasting all the time. My dad would play on Sundays. He would play. And I mean, he listened to all kinds of music. So my, my experience was everything from Cuban music, of course, to all the way out to opera. He'd be like listening to opera sometimes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Glenn Miller, you know, big bands, big band music. And he, he liked rock and roll, you know. <laughs> yeah. He had like Elvis. Everything was happening in my house. Amazing. Musically, yeah. So I grew up like that. And also my grandmother, who's on my mother's side, who's from Havana, she would come and visit. And she's, it's her fault, really, that <laughs> she, would, she, she would come over from Havana and, and she would say, man, this kid loves music. And I used to like, when I, little boy, little baby, you know, play with little cans and hidden things, you know. And she would come, every time we come visit, she'd come by bus all the way from Havana. And she would stay with us for about three months. And then she'd go back. Whenever she came, she'd bring me an instrument. She'd bring me a guido. Another time she came, she brought me maraca. Another time she came, she brought me a set of bongos. <laughs> I used to sit next to the radio and play and whatever came on the radio. I mean, just like that. And then I got into guitar. And I played some guitar. That's how I kind of got going. And I was in, in Santiago until I was almost 15. I left uh, 14 years and 11 months, actually, when I left Cuba. Oh, you were young. Yeah, I was that young. So you started with the guitar first, and then you switched to percussion? Well, the percussion is just what you do. Mm-hmm. So I was just doing it. Yeah. I didn't know that was, that's just what you do. It was in you. Know? you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guitar is like from listening to the Beatles and also all the Cuban traditional music of song, which is very guitar-based mm-hmm. and tres-based. When I discovered that stuff, because my, my parents would have a lot of parties. They, like I said, they love music. And they would have friends come over and they would have like a, you know, a trio. They were when they're playing in my house and there's a party. And I would like, so I got into all of that in a combination of the Beatles and the, and the Cuban canción. And I, I asked my dad, hey, I want to learn how to play guitar. And he got me a guitar and I started. So that's how that started happening. Wow. But the percussion thing, it was actually happening without me not even knowing it, mm. you know. I never thought of being a percussionist until I was like 18 years old. Wow. wow. So you were That's born amazing. to do it. But it was already in you. I'm, yeah, it was in you. <laughs> yeah, I'm a super, super late, late beginner, man. And I heard the yeah. story, you you talked a lot about the community and how, that was just a part of everything around you. Music was not, not only in the house, but when you walked out in the streets. I remember hearing an, an interview with you and Greg Perret. And you talked about, was it your first drum? Or do you remember the, oh, man. the, the story that I'm talking about? Yes. Like I said, in my house, all the music was happening on the radio and, you know, stuff was happening. If you just went outside in Santiago, man, there's, I was just, there. last time I went back, I went in 2010. <laughs> it's like for a, a one moment I, I went, it was three o'clock in the morning and I could still hear La Casa de la Troa. I'm going, okay, we're going to take a break now. Okay? Take a little break. <laughs> So there's so much music. So what what the story with that drum and all that uh, that you heard, like I said, my dad was a doctor, so everybody knew him. And my dad would take me to the park, Parque Céspedes, which is close to where I lived. And 
when they were rehearsing for Carnival, they would play over in the corner. You know, that's the ensemble was like playing and rehearsing songs and stuff. Whenever I went there, you know, I would go with a tricycle or a ball and a bat or whatever. If there were drums going, I wanted nothing to do with the, with the toys. I wanted just I wanted to be with the drums. Oh. And my dad, yeah, okay, you know, come on, dad, you know, and I, we'd go and stand and just watch all the drummers, man. Wow. And I would just that's what I did. I didn't I don't I don't remember doing this as my dad tells me. So one time for Christmas, somebody knocked on the door and there's a couple of guys with a conga drum uh, for for a kid, a small conga drum. And um they said, Dr. Conte, we know that your love, your boy loves the drums. Oh. So we made him this drum for Christmas. Tell him this is from Santa Claus. Oh, that's, so that's, that's the real story. That's my first drum. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, was, I think I was six or seven years old then. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. So people yeah. saw it in you as well. I mean... Yeah, it was undeniable. The only one that didn't see. I'm the only one that didn't see. <laughs> you couldn't escape it. So then, at 14, yeah. you came to the states. At 15, 15. At 15, you came, and then did you come straight to LA? Yeah, I still. I think it, it might still be the same law in Cuba. Castro put a law of like military age started at 15 years old. Uh. So you're in the military, and you, nobody's leaving the island. You cannot. I mean, it's it's communist, so. Nobody could leave the island, period. But especially if you're 15, forget about it, man. Until, I don't know what, 40-something. So wow. my dad, my dad was my hero, man. He saved me from all of that stuff. He's, it was very difficult that we were, we were apart, but he's, he realized we got to get this guy out of here before he's 15 years old. Mm. Oh, he's never going to be. He's never going to be free. Wow. So he, he did, you know, it's a long, this is a really, really long story how it all worked out. Mm. But I was able to get my visa and my exit, and I left legally from Cuba on a plane. The only thing is the flights in those days were there was no relations to the States or the Western world. So the only Western world countries that had flights were Spain and Mexico. Mm. So my flight went to Spain. <gasps> and I, so the way I left was I got on a flight by myself at 14 years and... 11 months, because oh, one more month right I would have been 15, before. and I would have been stuck. Wow. Oh, I was blessed, man. Oh, Super oh blessed. Gosh. Yeah, so at, at, at 14 and 11 months, I got on this plane, and I ended up going to Spain, and I was taken care of there by some Jesuits who were part of the refuge, you know, because people were exiting. Yes. And they were, we were refugees, you know. I was a refugee. Yeah. Yeah, so I was in Spain. For about four or five, four four and a half months, while I got all my papers together, because the the point was to come to the United States. Mm-hmm. My dad wanted to be here, and I had a third cousin, the only relative, the only person outside of Cuba. It was a this young man, well, older man, who his name he just passed away recently, actually. Unfortunately, his name is actually was Luis Conte also. Oh wow! And this yeah, this gentleman was. Uh, had left Cuba before the revolution. You know, he had made a life in the United States, in New York, and they had got married and had moved to LA and married a lady uh, who was a social worker. And they lived in Hollywood, out of all places. Hmm. And this is my father's third cousin. So my dad got a hold of him, you know, would you please take care of my son until I can get out there? Hmm. I said, sure. 
So that's where I, I went from Spain. I got the sponsorship from him and all that, all the paperwork. And about four and a half months, I ended up in Hollywood. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that yep. is an amazing. That is That's an incredible, incredible story. You were truly destined yep. to do what you're doing. Wow, That's amazing. Amen. Amen. Yep. I, I'm just. I, I'm. It's. It's taking me a minute to soak all of this in because it, it's really. I, I mean, at such a young age to go across the ocean like that, and then not yep. be with your parents, not be with any family members, and then, you know, finally making it across. I mean, that must have taken a lot of just faith too you know for you like that strength to just strength. go oh and gosh. and be able to to just yeah. travel through all that's amazing wow well, not, not to get yes not to get religious on you but i think you know god has always had me like a, like a marionette man with like things like this you know you're going here and you're going there Absolutely. yeah that's what happened you know yeah, yeah it, it's great i mean w when i think about this it was hard for me and I, I, I'm scarred from it, you know. There are yeah. scars, of course. I was a 15-year-old kid without his parents and et cetera, et cetera. But what I think even more is the sacrifice my mom and dad did. Because yes. when my son, I, I have a boy, and when he turned 14 years old, and he, we had a birthday party for him here, and he was running around the backyard in the pool with his friends and all this stuff, for a minute I sat there, I, was, I looked at him, and it hit me. Mm. And I told my wife, I said, that was me. I was a kid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I never, I never realized I was already grown up at that. You know, I was, that's how my brain was. And my dad did that sacrifice and just sent me out there like that. This is like yeah. unbelievable. You know, yes. what they must have gone through is crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even think I'm all getting teary. -eyed. I know. Sure. It's right. heavy. But I'm sure yeah, I mean, it's, pretty, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty it heavy. It is. It really is. Yeah. But how miraculous is it through all that? Like we're saying, the faith walk now where you are. And I'm sure through the journey, them looking out, oh my gosh, I can imagine as a parent, like you said, that push and pull of so hard. But then to see what you were able to do and become because mm. they made that sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, it's like my hero, like, my mom and dad. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So when you came to Hollywood, I mean, you're 15 years old. You're you. You like to play the you play the guitar. You like to bang on things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you something that really funny that happened. You know, because it's culture shock. I mean, I'm coming from man. I'm, Santiago is not, we're not hicks out there, but, you know, <laughs> Santiago is it's the second biggest city in Cuba. It's over here, but La Habana is over here. So everything happens in La Habana, you know, the capital. And I remember when we would, like, go to Havana as a, as a kid with my mom and dad. It was like, wow, man, even the fashion, you know, the people yeah. were wearing, you know. Yeah. We're just a little bit behind, you know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm coming from, I'm in Hollywood, and uh, the wife of Luis Conte, my cousin, who I stayed with, my guardian, uh -huh. he was my guardian while I was in high school, her nickname was Lola. And Lola said, I remember Lola, it was my first morning that I wake up in, in L.A., in, in Hollywood, and she goes, hey, Luisito, if, if you want, after, after I have breakfast, if you want, if you go out this street, you're going to go up and find a big avenue that's called Sunset. Mm -hmm. Then you make a left. You're going to go a few blocks. You're going to see a church on the right-hand side. That's Blessed Sacrament Church. And a, another two blocks, 
another block and a half, there's a school. It's called Highland and Sunset, and there's Hollywood High School. Oh. That's your school. Wow. So it must have been a week. It must have been a weekend because she said because on Monday we're going there to sign you up. But if if you want, go for a walk and go. Wow. Check it, check it out. So check this out, man. So this <laughs> take out this culture shock. So I now when we're living in when we were in Cuba when I was there, we were all living on, in rationing cards, right? So wow. you were everything was rationed, mm-hmm. and still rationed like that. Um, you know you can only get this much meat, this much milk, this much clothes, shirt. You, you only one pair of shoes for exercise, one pair of shoes for cl- for school. If you had that, and if you wore out, you can't get any more, wow. you know, and et cetera, et cetera. So I get to Sunset Boulevard, and like she says, I make a left, and some car pulls out, pulls up and to the sidewalk, and the back door opens up, and these two real cute young American blonde girls come out, <laughs> and they were wearing bell-bottom pants <laughs> with no shoes. Oh, huh. no and shoes. I went and no shoes. You know, they were hippies. Yeah. <laughs> right. In the back in the day, there were no shoes. Sometimes the hippies were walking around with no shoes and, no, you know, girls <laughs> with no bras, you know, and yeah. I never seen the kind of, and I, and I, I see that I'm walking down something. I see them and I go like, oh my God, you can't get shoes here either. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my, my first. My first moment from Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> oh man! I said, "What am I? What am I doing? What am I doing here?" Oh man! Uh, after all that traveling, I came. In. <laughs> oh yeah, that's funny. So, yeah, so that's my first experience, you know, and and I just blended in. I didn't speak English. I had to learn English. And Lola, the lady I live with, uh, she was really helpful with that because she was a social worker and she's an American. Yeah. She's a Jewish. She was Jewish and she's passed away now. She spoke perfect Spanish. So when I go into the family room and I turn on the TV the first time I switch the channels and I see channel 34, you know, Univision or whatever it's called. Oh, I put that on in Spanish. She came into the, the family room and goes, okay, Luis, you can watch after you, you're going to have homework. And after you do your homework and all that stuff, you can watch all the TV you want, et cetera, et cetera. But you cannot watch TV in Spanish. Mm. I went, what? I don't understand anything. I says, you'll never learn English. Wow. So you, you can watch whatever you want in English. If I see you watching something in Spanish, I'll take your TV rights away. You want no more TV. Wow. I go, oh, wow. Okay. So I was speaking... And I would sit down, I would do my homework, and then she, I would sit with her, and I remember, I would always watch Walter Cronkite at (laughs) 7.30, come on, on Channel 2, on CBS, and we'd watch, she would watch, you know, the shows from those days, it was like, it's the 60s, Star Trek, and the Invaders, and all these things. And I would sit with her and watch TV from 7.30 till like around 10, and everybody would go to bed, all in English. And I'm just sitting there going... And then I and I start getting the words, you know. Yeah. And again, and I ask her, hey, what what was that? Just, oh yeah. Well, he said you've got to. That means this, you know. That's how I learned. I, I was speaking English pretty good in about three or four months. Wow. Wow. That's, wow. that's incredible. Yeah. 
goodness. Well, that's a testament also to your ear and that musicality, because I feel like often musicians pick up languages a lot faster Mm -hmm. because they can hear the inflections, the inflections, the motion of the sound. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. That is. Yeah, this Lola really took her job seriously in terms of committing to, to taking care of you. Yeah, she was great about that. I mean, you know, as a matter of fact, I saw her a couple of years ago before she passed, and 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 I've seen her for for a long, long time. And she goes, "Lucy, I'm so sorry I didn't let you speak watch Spanish on TV." <laughs> I go like, "Are you kidding? That's the best thing you could have done." Aww. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Like, matter of fact, you should have turned that into a class. If you want to <laughs> learn Spanish in three months, listen. I've, I've yeah. tried. I've tried to learn Portuguese and, and watch, you know, the, the novelas. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I just give up. You yeah. know, when you're in an environment, you know, where, where it's, you know, that language. So if, if you went to Brazil, I bet you you would get the Portuguese. Absolutely. Because you're around it all the yes. time, you know. Yeah. that's mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. I'm around... There wasn't, it's not like it is now. This is the 60s in Hollywood. There wasn't that many Hispanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't in the, in the uh, ESL program, mm-hmm. English as a second language. So there, but there was people from Italy and Yugoslavia, every, all over the place. There weren't that many Latinos, you know. So it's pretty much all English. Yeah. You know, I, I, lo- I love sports. So I would play, I wanted to play, you know, I joined the baseball team. And all that stuff. I was all in English, you know. So I was like... That's fantastic. It. That's incredible. Yeah, immersion is definitely the way to, the way to go. And yep. I'm sure at 15 you were, you know, I'm sure the the lovely ladies, shoes or no shoes, were also probably an incentive to learn to oh, speak yeah. the language. Those little blondes. Most definitely, most definitely, because you know how I I knew that I I, I knew how to, uh, my English was getting really good. I had a crush on this one girl in class, and I dreamt one night I was dreaming about her. And I was talking to her in English. Oh, oh yeah. When you, when you dream in English, you got the language. When you dream in a foreign language, you got that language down. Ooh, I like that. Wow. So then you came to, you ended up in Hollywood, at Hollywood High of all places. I mean, yeah, you landed right in the <laughs> right center. In the, right in the, <laughs> the legendary Hollywood The boiling pot. Yeah. Right and then did you, yep. were you playing there? Were there opportunities to play in Hollywood High? Well, or? I met, I, yes, I met some... In the 10th grade, I didn't really do much. And I was really, you know, listen, put yourself in, in that kind of spot. I mean, like, I was pretty disconnected. Of, I was, where my mom and dad? I could, you know, you could not even speak on the phone with them, okay? Uh, this is not like now you can get on Cuba Cell and call yeah, your cousin yeah, down there. Yeah. Wow. You, you could, could not speak on the phone. Yeah, letters would come, like, censored, or, or I would write to them, and, they, and I get a letter from them that says, we haven't heard from you in, like, three months. I say I write to you guys every every week. You know the letters we get; they throw them away. The government was horrible. Wow. Yeah, so I was totally disconnected. But once I got going, and I got my English together, you know, blah blah blah. I met some guys, and a block that lived a block away, and they're on the corner over there. Their mom, you know, they played guitar, and they had a one was a guitar player, and there was a bass player and a drummer, and I joined the band, and I played guitar with them. So we would. That's how I first started playing music just with my friends in high school, you know, little high school garage band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. But yeah. And then, uh, we, we played a, f- a few sports nights that they call them, you know, da- school dances. Wow. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty cool. I'm still away from the drums. 
I'm still away from it yeah, until I graduate from high school. Huh. So all this. <laughs> so how did you end up with the Guido in your hand? Well, all that stuff that my grandmother had given me, it stayed back in Cuba, right? Yeah. But it was mm-hmm. still in, it, it was still here yeah. wow. in my heart. Yeah. Yes. And and it's kind of strange because also the house I was staying in, you know, my third cousin, I thank him forever, and and I love them and the beautiful family and. But they weren't like my family, you know, like my mom and dad, they were totally into music. You know, they would rarely play records. Mm. You know, maybe they had a party that, you know what I mean? So it's totally different. The whole musical world, you know, I I never heard Cuban music, never heard Cuban music about how, you know, so it it took me a while. And once I graduated from high school and I got my own place, I went on my own, I was taking some music classes at Los Angeles City College because I, mm-hmm. I I was taking x-ray technology classes and one music class hmm. just because I like music. So I think I'll take a beginning piano, you know. <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Got nothing to do. So one day I'm going to class and I hear, right? I hear drums, congas. Oh, no. And it was like, what? Uh, what is that? That was it. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing, you know, that drum, the sound, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember that moment like it is right now. So I follow the drums, and it's in the student union. I was going to Los Angeles City College here. So it was that day they were having the, the African-American Student Association was doing an event, had an event. And... Back in those days, the 60s, you know, the the African-American person is trying to get their identity, you know, the Afro start coming, you know, Africa. Yeah, Mm -hmm. man, you know, right on. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what this was about. And there were these guys with a couple of guys with conga drums. And I'm not really sure what they were doing, because all I do is when I got there, I was just watching the see the congas and, and then they stopped and took a break. So I went over there and I asked the guy, hey. Where did you find those drums? Mm-hmm. You know, they look like, these drums look to me like it was my home. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've never seen, I never saw conga since I left Cuba. I had not seen another conga drum. Wow. You know? I said, where did you find these drums? He goes, oh, man, uh, over here on Sunset, man. Um, never forget it. Sunset of Michael Torrena. I go, what kind of drums are these? He goes, they're called Valje. Look, the address is right on it. I go, the address is, oh, cool. So I got my pen. I wrote the address. I said, can I play it? Can I can I play your drums as well? If you if you know how to play, I go, yeah. And I went, I am a total natural. <laughs> I, I played the tumbao and he goes, hey, yeah, it's pretty good, man. Well, thanks. Okay, all right, nice meeting you. And that that, that was, was it. it. That was, that was it. it. Wow. <laughs> that <God>. is amazing. <laughs> so These crazy. stories are just got me so emotional. <laughs> it's incredible. So then did you go right yeah. down and buy yourself a, a conga? Yeah. yeah. I got a set of congas. I still, I still got them. Oh, oh yes, man. Of course. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of, and I wish I can remember the phrase in Portuguese because I didn't study that well. But as a dancer, I did all styles of dance, but with samba and yeah. hearing the batucada like it they say like the drums call you so it was like the drums call you you yeah. know you you yeah. heard those drums and that was it 
That was it for yeah, you. Yeah, man. As a, you're exactly yeah. right what you feel. Yeah. That's, it's just a, it's like a magnet. You can't just, explain it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all that. And I, let me tell you, when I, when I asked the guy to let me play and I played it, I went, oh, man, this is, this is really what I want to do, man. This is really feels so good, you know. So, you know, like I, right I mean, I didn't even have a car back in those days, man. I had to ask my friend to give me a ride there and get those drums, you know. Amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. So when you found that, then how did it all happen from there? I mean. When I found that, then just like you and your instrument, you know, it's 3,000% on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is. Okay, yo soy cubano, I'm Cuban, I'm from Santiago, I'm playing the conga drum. Okay, so what's all the Cuban rhythms and the stuff I used to listen to and what records and where do I get records and where do you get where guys that play and where do you get information and who, you know, I didn't get a teacher. I'm totally self-taught. I just watch people. Oh my gosh. I had the stuff, I have a lot of that rhythm stuff. I had gotten it from being down there just by osmosis, mm, man. Yeah. I was just yes, getting yes. it, you know? Yes. Yeah. So it was like 3,000% musica, you know? Wow. And all kinds of music because of, I loved everything. So yeah. I, I listened to Motown. I listened to, all, you know, the percussion parts and or whatever, you know? And uh, I met some met some guys. I, there was, uh, I heard about a club. It doesn't exist anymore called Chess Pico. And uh, it was on Pico, Pico and Vermont. <laughs> Pico oh, Boulevard Pico. and Vermont. And there was a guy named Chocolate, not the famous Chocolate Montero struggle player. Mm-hmm. It was an Afro-Cuban man named Chocolate and his wife, Sylvia, had a little band. And I was underage because you can't go into a club until you're 21. But I, I would sneak in there. I, was, I would lie. <laughs> they would let me in. And I met them and... I started like sitting in with them mm. and there was like somebody brought a set of, had a set of bongos in there. I would sit bongos or play bongos while he's playing congas and Johnny Chell's playing timbal, you know, whatever. And it's just, Evolved you start meeting, yeah. you yeah. start meeting people. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure the Cuban community here is not a huge, I mean, not like you go to Florida and find a ton of Cubans. So here, the minute that you find yeah. somebody that, you know, it's like your people, your, your, your heart. I mean, you yeah. find your, you know, the, the tierra. Yeah. The, yeah, the people that yeah. understand where you come from, who you are. So you found these people in this club. Yeah, and I'll tell you what ends up happening. So and I start meeting other guys, and they come to the, you know, it's like a club. And the guys come over. And, hey, I'm Luis. Yeah, you know. Oh, I'm Pequito. Como está Pequito? Hey, I play piano. Love it. And Pequito calls me to play. You know, hey, I got a little band. You want to play at some such club? Yeah, a wedding or whatever. You know, starts, you know, starts. Okay, I'll play there. And then Chocolate says, hey, we have a, a wedding that pays pretty good. We can afford one more guy. You want to go play bongos? Yeah, go. He pays 25 bucks. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, $25. Man, I made it now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and like that. But check this out. So you're networking and, you know, hanging and whatever you can. The timbal player with... Chocolate at the club Chespico. His name was Johnny Cheddar. And talking with guys, I find out that there's a musicians union, right? Uh-huh. I didn't know there was a musicians union. I had no idea. So I go, where's the musicians union? Oh, it's on Vine. And, oh, shit, that's like my neighborhood. I grew up in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I figured, well, if I go to the Musicians Union, I'll get a gig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guess what, man? The day I go to the I go to the Musicians Union, I had a I had a motorcycle. That's all how I used to get around. So I had a little motorcycle. I go to the Union. Wow. And I walk into the Union, and who do I see? Johnny Cheddar, the timbal player oh. from the Chess Pico. Right? And he said, Luis, hey, Johnny, como estas? How are you, man? Hey, man. He goes, hey, man, there were some guys here right now looking for somebody to play percussion. They say they have a, a record that's uh, coming out and on RCA, and they're going to New York, and blah, 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 blah. I go, really? He said, where are they? He says, oh, they just left, but I got their number. Call them up. Give me the number. I go to the pay phone. Yeah. Go to the pay phone. <laughs> yeah, pay phone. Pay phone. <laughs> it was right there in the union. And uh, I go, hey, my name is Luis. Says, oh, yeah, yeah. Where are you? I'm in Hollywood. Says, Come on right now. Here's the address. We're auditioning right now. Well, that band was, it was a group. It was a three singers, a trio. It was uh, the Hughes Corporation, H-U-E-S. Mm-hmm. And the hit was Rock the Boat. Mm. I'd like to know where you got the notion. Yes. Oh rock the boat, oh, rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat, so pick the boat. Oh. And they're getting ready to go do a promotional tour. Like in those days, the record company would pay for them and a band to go yeah. play around. Mm-hmm. And they needed somebody to play congas because this is like the first, well, one of the first, what they so-called disco songs, even though it wasn't a disco, stop, stop. Kind oh, of yeah. thing, uh-huh. but it was right up and your I'd like to know where you got <laughs> and, and like you said, back in the day, there wasn't that many percussionists, many conga players, not many Cubans. You know, it's different yeah. in those days. So anyway, I I went on audition. I I don't think anybody else showed up to audition. It was just me. <laughs> <laughs> and and, there was, and I, next thing I knew, I was. Traveling New York, New Jersey, all the East Coast. Incredible. Played the Apollo Theater for a week what? next oh. to the Commodores. I saw Don Kirshner, ABC in concert, uh, the Midnight Special, oh Soul Train. Yeah. yeah. Oh. American Bandstand. All of that. All of a sudden, I was into all of that. <laughs> oh my I'm gosh. You, it's all God, man. 100%. Absolutely. And the Musicians yeah. Union. Right. I'm just going to go check it out. Surely they've got the Musicians there. Union. <laughs> now, that right wow. there is an advertisement for the Musicians Union. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, so, since yeah. you were self taught, I'm sure you have many, many inspirations. Who was your biggest musical inspiration? Well, you know. Um, that's a great question. And because of the large array of music, mm-hmm. I can start with, first of all, once I find the drums, my first, the, the, the big influences are, are these Afro-Cuban drummers. Yeah. Yeah. Mongo Santa Maria, Mongo Santa Maria, Patato Valdez, Francisco Aguabella, Amendo Peraza. In Cuba, the guys that I, I, that I had seen that I didn't realize mm-hmm. I was going to idolize later on. Yes. And I couldn't see anymore, mm-hmm. just listen to with Tata Wines and Papin from the group Los Papines. That's my Afro-Cuban. And, of course, Alfredo de los Reyes Sr., who was a timbalero drummer. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's that word. But then, I, oh, the big influence was the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I love the Beatles, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Aretha Franklin. I used to idolize it when that song Respect came on, man. I was in high school, man. It was like, <laughs> The Motown music, the Four Tops. I got I, I got to see all these, playing opposite the Spinners, the OJs, the Four Tops, all those bands, the Temptations. So that kind of music was a, another huge, it's just a big soup. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, then, and then, you know, I started listening to Miles. Mm. You know, <laughs> and I remember being on tour with the Hughes Corporation. The bass player, Bill Strom, says, Hey, man, check this out. He had a his little cassette thing, and it was Czech Korea. I said, Man, oh. what's that? It was Return to Forever. I said, Oh, man. So I discovered Ayrto, the percussionist Ayrto, uh-huh. who was a master Brazilian percussionist. I first time I saw him play this tambourine was like, Pandero, totally foreign to the Cuban, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the Cuica and all these other instruments. Mm-hmm. All these guys are my, it's a big soup of guys, you know, people. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. A lot of influences. <laughs> when you started touring and then you said you, you ran into all these people, like who was the biggest, like your first celebrity that you saw music wise that you were just in awe of? You oh, man. Got to run in the same circle Oof. with. Oh, I don't know. That's a hard question. <laughs> so many. People. I don't know any any of them. They're all you know. Just... Yeah, it's like you said. Your eyes were just wide open. That's the thing that's been pretty consistent with everyone that we've interviewed. You guys have this incredible kind of childlike wonder. Like you're in in this place and music. It's like you said, it just sucks you in and everything around you is like this wonderful soup of things. You're just eating everything. Mm-hmm. You just want to learn. You want to know. You want to play. And the enjoyment, I feel that. And it's been that's been so consistent with mm-hmm. other. And you guys are all incredible because of that, like that basic joy, almost like a kid has. Like you just, ah, oh, like like you said, what what are you, where do you get that? You know, like, <laughs> oh, like right. that's amazing. You know, and I I that is so amazing to to just hear that consistency from you. And I, mm-hmm. I said, I could see you. Are you like, I don't know, because you know what? Honestly, I was just taking everything in. That's such yeah. a beautiful the thing. The humility is one of those things that has yeah. been a real, you know, continuous thread is everybody just is like, it wasn't me. Almost like I was in the right place at the right time. And, you know, it was yeah. just a I'm huge just a vessel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. been it's been amazing. Yes. And then I, you know, so you're known as a percussionist. Did you ever I mean, do you still play guitar now? I play guitar at home. <laughs> I, I, and I, I I do a lot of I write with it. Yeah, I remember you yeah. talking about a song that I would love you to, for you to tell that story about the song with about your grandma and the chancla. No, or was no. Oh no, the maracas. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the maracas. Said the yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, what I do with the guitar is writing and 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 so playing for fun. But I don't I don't really do gigs as a guitar player. You know, I've done a couple of things where I just play a little rhythm guitar just for fun. But we have this song that I wrote. I co-wrote it with uh, Ramon Estañado. Mm-hmm. It's a great guitarist here in town. And it's called La Maraca de la Abuela, de mi abuela, which is my grandmother's maracas in English. And what it is is my grandmother, my mom's mom, she lived in Havana by herself because my grandfather had passed away. And we all lived in Santiago. She's up there and she lived in like a, for what I remember, it seemed like it was really high, probably like a second or third story mm-hmm. apartment, you know. But in a real busy intersection, her building was in a very busy interse- intersection of Havana. 
like one of these things that like three roads come in and her buildings here. So always this stuff going on, you know. And my parents would go to Havana, leave me with my grandma, and they go party. <laughs> and they, I don't know, I don't, I wouldn't see them for a week, and I was just hanging out with my grandma. <laughs> so, yeah. So my grandma, my grandma practiced a religion, a Cuban, Afro-Cuban religion called Santeria, right? And and she had all these, they have all these uh, deities, and in to this particular deity, the maraca is like a certain deity has like a bell. Another one has, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something, you know, a piece of iron. Another one is the ocean. This one is the drum and the maraca, oh. right? So she had this pair of maraca, beautiful set of red, because this deity's color is red, right? <laughs> so these beautiful red maracas, man. And I would put the radio on, and what would I do? I didn't have a bundle. <laughs> I would play, you know, play the radio to the thing. And one day, <laughs> I'm like, Standing, she had she had a balcony who faced this busy street, and I'm just there with the maracas, looking, you know, a little boy, and I'm looking at the cars and the buses. I go, wow, I wonder if I can hit that bus with a maraca. <laughs> and, I just, no. and I just went, <laughs> just dropped the maracas, and there they fell on top of the bus, and there goes the bus. Oh, no. <laughs> And I freaked out. I go, Grandma, oh, I didn't know what to do. And she goes like, oh, my God. La Maraca de Chango, oh, my God. So what is all about that? That's what that's all about. That is story. Hearing you and Ramon talk about that, it was just such an amazing, that I never forgot about that, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I just remember, yeah. yeah, I remember, I think, that the what came after that. And maybe that's why I was thinking the chancla. <laughs> Yeah, right? (laughs) No, it was cool. She was just, she was freaked out, but you know. She found another pair of maracas somewhere. I don't know where. (laughs) That is so funny. We are having such a great time with Luis. We really hope that you are enjoying this series as much as we are. Please tune in next week for part two of I Am The Band with Luis Conte. We leave you today with a song that I wrote after having an opportunity to watch him record in his studio. This song is called Mi Conguero, and it talks about what happens when you hear the congas, what happened to us that day as we watched Luis record. You start to feel the music, and and even though there's not a ton of music playing, just him playing the congas just made our hearts beat and made you want to dance. So we hope that you enjoy this tune. We leave you today with Mi Conguero. Conga. Vamos, gózalo conmigo. Ah. Empezando con mis ojos, busco el rostro de sus hombros. Al encuentro lo sabré. Su cuerpo no miente, el ritmo lo siente hasta el fondo. Empieza a infectar Su maluna piel Me manda la luna No puedo negar El sentido que me da Cuando toca, toca, toca Mi conguero 
por tu sangre El ritmo, ritmo, ritmo de mi conguero Y con un virus te empieza a infectar La pasión del tambor te empieza a Thank you for listening. Interested in starting your own podcast? Visit us at IamMusicGroup.com.